Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Marketing and Outreach. Joining me is my co-host, the Proceedings Editor-in-Chief, Bill Hamlet. Hello, Bill. Hello, Ward. So we've kind of spent the previous X number of podcasts, probably a dozen or more, talking about the COVID-19 environment. And uh, I don't think we've done one since the developments around Minneapolis and uh, the social unrest. Whatever the military component is to that, we're seeing kind of unfold. Um, We've had four flag and general officers, Navy, Marine Corps, go public with their thoughts. And it's interesting in terms of degrees of separation from the Naval Institute that three of the four are former board members of the Naval Institute. And the fourth, Admiral Mullen, is a guy we've had on the podcast and uh, a member as well. So to stay out of the politics of it, all this demonstrates to us is the Naval Institute is the open forum, the independent forum, and where the free exchange of ideas. Um, So as long as that's what's happening in our pages and on our sites, then that's within our purview and our mission. At some level, I'm, I'm proud of, never mind again the politics of it, but I'm proud of the uh, the exchange of ideas, the intellectual capacity of our previous board members. And I know you and I both know them well in some cases. Um, and so we also will point out that we had an author uh, write about uh, race relations in, uh, in in a recent uh, post at Proceedings Digital, and, and uh, remind me of who that author was, Bill, and, and what that subject was. Yeah, so the uh, article we published it two days ago is called "Racial Tension in America Requires Intrusive Military Leadership." It's by Commander Marcus Kennedy, uh, U.S. Coast Guard, and uh, it, you know this is looking at what's happening with race relations and racial tension uh, and the, the violence in, in the United States right now. Uh, Commander Kennedy is, uh, he, he just is putting a personal face to it, right? He is writing not about the politics, not blaming people, not, he's just saying, look, as this happens, and he's an African-American Coast Guard commander, uh, and he starts his piece off by saying, even as racial tensions flare across the United States, I can be present at quarters, I can lead a pre-flight brief, I can pass critical information to my unit, yet there's part of me that's invisible at work because I wear a mask that hides the part that's hurting, that's tired and frustrated. So, uh, and then he just goes on to, to uh, he talks about how uh, in, in uh, January, February of 2019, when the Coast Guard had its lapse in appropriations, you know, that hit hard on all the people in the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard senior leaders invoked um, a call out to all leadership, you know, command triads, et cetera, to, to, uh, to practice intrusive leadership, to get down into the trenches and to talk to their people and just say, hey, how are you doing? How are, how are you managing? You know, you're, you're missing a paycheck. The Coast Guard's not getting paid. We've, uh, you know, we've really been impacted. How are you managing? How's your family taking this, right? And that intrusive leadership practice is one that could be used now. And and Marcus is saying uh, to to all leaders in the Coast Guard, hey, you know, talk to the members of your crew, talk to the African Americans that are that are uh, among you, and just ask them that question. Ask them, hey, how are you doing? How's this impacting you? And you may get a surprising answer, but you'll definitely. 
um, you'll make them feel better. You'll make them feel that they're cared for and you'll make them understand that that, you know, what's happening in, in America right now is not normal. And it and it deeply impacts, uh, you know, some significant part of your crew. So it's a good piece. Stays away from the politics, as you pointed out. Just a really good piece about leadership and how to how to lead people who are being impacted by something outside the workforce right now. And we'll look to have more of that sort of stuff going forward here. Also remind the audience, the Proceedings Podcast, episode 158, is titled The Black Sea Service Experience. Our colleague Paul Kingsbury, Fleet Master Chief retired, spoke with former Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard, Vince Patton, and retired Fleet Master Chief Raymond Kemp about the history of the black experience and black integration into the Naval Service. So I entreat, and this is a month before all of this happened, I entreat the listeners to check out that episode if you haven't. And and it's interesting. Some of these specifics that Raymond Kemp brings up uh, about decisions made at the highest levels in recent years, it's unintended uh, sort of slights around racial lines are pretty amazing. So uh, again, that's episode 158. Uh, if you look in the proceedings podcast archives, you can find it and listen to it. That's a great one as we're dealing with this challenge at this moment. Other, yeah, really good point. Other uh, uh, sort of current events that maybe folks haven't heard about, and if you're living under a rock, um, one is the Navy Notre Dame game, which was scheduled to be played in Dublin, Ireland this year on Labor Day weekend, has been moved to Annapolis on Labor Day weekend. Um, obviously, with the COVID-19 environment, there were going to be challenges to air travel and hanging out in Dublin and a jam-packed stadium and all of those kinds of things. So the mutual athletic associations of both Navy and Notre Dame decided to veer to a smaller venue, which happens to be Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis on Labor Day. Details to follow with respect to ticket prices, what are the social distancing protocols in the stadium, and will it be tailgating, all the other stuff that we enjoy at Navy Home Games. Um, we don't know the answers to that yet, but this is an indication of an attempt to return to live sports, for instance. Um, and we also know that uh, uh, Admiral Buck, the superintendent of the Naval Academy, um, has decided, has ruled that the midshipmen, the brigade of midshipmen will be coming back for fall semester. Unknown whether the faculty will continue distance learning, um, but certainly the midshipmen, the brigade, will be back in the yard for fall semester. So that's an interesting development. We've talked at length about plebe summer, how that's, you know, happening in terms of the isolation period and, and training and so forth. So probably don't need to review review that now. Another interesting thing about uh, football is the team is headed back to do uh, isolation for a couple of weeks and then we'll get into conditioning and then practice. And so they will be ready for the Navy Notre Dame game. Now, I do not know whether that means all fall sports are going to be returning uh, as normal. You know, all we know at this point is the Navy Notre Dame game is going to be in uh, in Annapolis. So that's an, that's an interesting development. And as we all yearn for, you know, I mean, I was watching the 2009 Super Bowl last night, um, you know, <laughs> Steelers and who are they playing? And, and I've been watching old golf tournaments and, you know, at some level, you're like, you know, it'd be great to have a live event on television, 
you know, or to attend a live event. Um, so this is a morale builder of sorts, and we'll see what the details are uh, going forward. Yeah, as you say, everybody yearns for some sort of return to normalcy or even just signs that there will be a return to normalcy. And this is one, right? So, right. okay, well, that's a good recap of, you know, kind of what's going on around uh, both Annapolis and the Naval Institute and, and bigger picture. Uh, let's get to our guests now. Uh, so I want to introduce uh, calling us from um, up in the Chicago area and stationed at uh, Naval Training Center Great Lakes is Lieutenant Audrey Talbot, U.S. Navy. Uh, and she is writing a series of uh, what we call J.O. Life Hacks uh, for us that we started publishing in uh, in April. We've been publishing about one a week, and there's going to be a total of seven of them. And so they start out with uh, truth number one, uh, which was SWO qualification is a first tour officer's top priority. Lieutenant Talbot, welcome to the, the uh, Proceedings Podcast. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Audrey, you were one of the first uh, junior officers who took us up on the challenge of uh, writing uh, in this category of what we're calling life hacks for the JO. Uh, we talked about this at our editorial board meeting last uh, fall. Uh, our CEO came up with the idea and said, hey, I think we need to have more content that's sort of built around how do you make life better for ensigns uh, as they start to head out to the fleet or second lieutenants as they head for their first job. Uh, or they head for their first, you know, sort of qualification, their first big school, flight school, that sort of thing. Uh, and so you had written for us and um, talked to us about a number of things. And and so we asked you, as a as a SWOB, uh who had finished her first two division officer tours and is waiting to go to department head school, uh, if you would write something, you know, to kind of aim towards, uh, you know, Ensign Audrey Talbot from Lieutenant Audrey Talbot, what do you wish you'd known then that you know now? So. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the mindset behind uh, your writing, and then we'll walk through each one of the uh, uh, the truths as we've published them so far. Well, thank you, Bill, and um, thank you for the opportunity to, again, do what you just discussed, which is try to provide some additional information to especially those new ensigns who are, you know, really excited about joining the surface warfare community and starting their career. So the truths kind of were born out of my own time of personal reflection, if you will, once I transferred to my shore duty. So with some time and space away from the ship and the, you know, daily grind of ship life, I was able to really think about all the lessons that I had learned as a division officer. And while I think that was important to do at the same time, you know, I am obviously no longer a division officer and I'll never serve in that capacity again. And so when I was kind of compiling all of these things and trying to really remember everything from my tour, I thought about doing so in a way that would benefit newly commissioned officers who, again, kind of year after year go through the same amount of confusion, you know, get overwhelmed, um, and really just don't have a good idea necessarily of what to expect. So the truths, again, are written with the audience primarily in mind being newly commissioned surface warfare officers and are explained in such a way that they're supposed to be sort of like a pass down from one division officer to the next. So tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your career so far. You graduated from the Naval Academy in 2014, uh, became a SWO. What ships did you serve on and what were your division officer tours? So after graduation, I reported to the USS Winston S. Churchill out of Norfolk, Virginia, DDG 81. And 
while aboard, I was the communications officer and also the EKMS manager. And just because of clearance requirements for that billet, I remained in that position for the duration of my tour. Um, And then I transferred to the USS Normandy CG-60, also out of Norfolk, Virginia. And my job there was FCO or fire control officer. So I was on board Normandy for a little less than two years. And also very grateful that I was able to complete two full deployments on, on both of those ships. So definitely got the real Navy experience. So in my last tour as Air Wing Ops, it was my last fleet tour because I finished my career teaching at the Naval Academy, but uh, Normandy was Alpha Whiskey in the George Washington battle group. So great ship. Great ship. Yep. And um, I know Proceedings actually published an article written by Admiral Black about that deployment specifically in 2018 because it was the first um, dynamic force employment deployment. So um, really, really excited that I was able to be a part of that. So, Ardor, you start off each of your um, uh, truths, each of your commentaries uh, with this quote from a wise master chief once told me, junior officers don't know what they don't know. And then uh, truth one, it, you, you start out the, the the first truth is achieving surface warfare qualification is the top priority first tour, first tour surface warfare officer. Talk talk to us about the master chief and then talk to us about that first truth. Sure. So that master chief was uh, the departmental chief on my first ship. And I really just have him to thank for so much mentoring. And he taught me so much, especially during the very beginning of my first tour when it's very overwhelming and can be very confusing. And the junior officers don't know what they don't know. I honestly didn't really understand what he meant at, by that at first. Um, but later on in that tour, I, I started to realize that it's easy to get frustrated or maybe even frustrated with a peer who is newer than you because of something they are or aren't doing. But really, for the most part, nobody is intentionally you know, screwing up or missing a deadline or any, or something like that, it's more often the case that the junior officer just genuinely doesn't know what the right thing is to do, how to act, what to say, all of that sort of stuff. So um, that was kind of my experience. And like I said, I was lucky to have um, a lot of really great mentorship from that master chief. And so, like you said, the truths, I'll start with a truth, if you will. And for truth number one, Achieving the surface warfare qualification as the top priority is, I would say, a bold statement, if you will. Um, For me, the mentors um, and leaders that I served under made this very clear to me that it was or should be the top priority for a first tour. Um, For the reasons, you know, discussed in that truth, I kind of get into other things that come up for division officers that can sometimes make this really difficult to actually come to fruition or to prioritize. And while it's important for the division officer to understand that it is the top priority, it also, they need the support of their chief or their department head or even their commanding officer in making that uh, a reality. So as a, as a first tour division officer, you've got, you've got to manage a division. As you said, I think you were a fire control officer on one of your tours and, and, uh, uh, you were EKMS officer on, on your first ship. And so you got that division to manage. So you have a chief and you've got some number of 30, 40 people or so. 
but then you've also got the requirement to get qualified as a surface warfare officer. And so you're saying you got to put the lion's share of your effort towards getting your pin to getting qualified. Correct. Right. And it is difficult, like I said, because there are so many different responsibilities. And this truth also isn't to say that qualifying is far and away the most important. It's saying that among these different areas, really three sort of areas, you kind of have to keep moving the pile forward equally for the most part. But if we had to, if it had to come down to it, qualification is the most important. And, and sometimes I think junior officers, if they were to say that, would feel like that's something that's selfish or self-centered. When in reality, a qualified officer is extremely valuable, not only to watch teams or the watch bill, um, but also to their division. With qualification out of the way, they're able to spend more time and energy on divisional matters. Yeah, that makes sense. So truth number two is attitude is everything for SWO divos. What's all, what's that all about? So for truth number two, I'll have to share a story. Um, my mom actually coached high school basketball for many years. And as a kid, for some reason, I always remember when her team t-shirt said attitude is Attitude is everything. So it's a pretty common phrase, um, but obviously here I'm applying it specifically to SWO division officers. And I think in truth number two, the main takeaway is that while there are many things, especially as a new division officer that are out of your control, your attitude is something that you can control. And it's really important, not just for your own personal well-being, but again, for the people that you work with for the division that you are working so hard to serve. And then uh, the second kind of major part included in truth number two is talking about expanding the definition of positivity. Um, During my division officer tour or time, rather, I certainly learned the value of direct communication and even confrontation at times with the goal being to better the team. So I think that this is sometimes easy for division officers to take in the wrong way if they, you know, maybe have a disagreement or need to just, again, talk directly with somebody and understanding that that actually can be a really, really good thing and not to take it personally. So sometimes in the, uh, in, in the Navy, you know, different tribes have different, um, you know, sort of cultures and also different, uh, you know, they're looked upon differently by the other other tribes. And so uh, across the Navy, a lot of people will say, you know, swos eat their young, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm guessing that this truth number two, there's something to that in here, this this idea that uh, swos eat their young is also an attitude. It, it's a way of looking at things. And if you take a, a more positive attitude, maybe you see that kind of mentoring a little bit differently. Sure. Right. And again, I think that slow eating their young type thing, I think I talk about that briefly in a different truth. But like you said, taking responsibility for not only your actions, but also your attitude and understanding the ways in which you can control your own attitude and again, impact those around you. So what's your sense, Audrey, about that, that cliche about that, um, narrative surrounding the SWO community with respect to eating their young. Is that 
valid? Is it vary by command or is it is it bogus? I would have to say in my personal experience, I did not encounter it. Um, I think in I think it's in truth number five, but I just talk about the idea that, especially as a new ensign, that whole sort of stigma may come up. Again, in my experience, I, I haven't had to deal with um, any sort of swoe eat their young type environment. Um, it is can be a very stressful environment on a ship, obviously. There's a lot going on. Um, it can get kind of competitive working on qualifications and things like that. But like I said, in my experience, I've, I've been, you know, my tours have, were just honestly great. <laughs> I've had really great experiences. And when people do say that, you could almost take it the opposite way and say that it's insulting to those people who, you know, are out there taking care of people, teaching sailors and, and mentoring their officers. So, Audrey, let's move on to truth number three. Division officers must learn to see the future. Talk about that a bit. Sure. So, again, I, I'll have to share kind of a, a story. But when I was a kid, I would work on a lot of home improvement projects with my dad. And he would ask me to run to the garage, you know, and grab this tool or, oh, Audrey, I need this from the garage. And as I got older, I would try to anticipate what he needed from the garage and, and get it for him before he even asked. So at the time, obviously, I wasn't really thinking, this is me seeing the future, but it's that same concept that I'm trying to talk about here in truth number three. And not talking about, you know, a tool or a piece of material out of the garage, but tools that division officers can use to help them effectively see the future. And this is a really, really challenging skill to learn, but also extremely important. Again, with the goal being that the team as a whole, the ship, or more specifically, the division is able to benefit from a division officer who doesn't, you know, come down into the space at 1600 and say, whoops, forgot about this. This is due tomorrow. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to stay late to make sure it's accomplished. So understanding the consequences in a positive sense of being able to master this skill. Makes sense. Yeah, just getting ahead of the workflow, staying ahead, looking looking forward in the planner, talking to the chief, getting out getting out in advance of uh, upcoming inspections and underways and those sort of things. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, truth number four. So truth number four um, is, to me, really just a thank you letter, especially to the first chief that I had the opportunity to work with. So when I showed up to, to um, Churchill, excuse me, we showed up around the same time, and so my the majority of that tour, I was in radio as the communications officer, and I also had the opportunity to work with the same chief during that tour. And like I said, this is, this is really just a thank you letter to all of the chiefs that I had the opportunity to work with, but especially that first chief, um, because this, this relationship is, is extremely complicated in some ways, but also really, really important. And that chief taught me how this relationship is supposed to work and how each person has their own specific role. And together, there's this powerful partnership. So that's what I'm talking about here in truth number four. So how prepared do you think you were coming out of the academy? I mean, you had an SEL in your company. You were exposed during your summer cruises to 
chiefs, but how, how prepared were you? And then what did that first chief do specifically that oriented you correctly? Because I think we all have stories of the first chief who sort of fast directed us in that uniquely chief way. Well, so I would say I was as prepared as I could have possibly been having graduated from the academy. And just like you said, my summer training experiences and just kind of interactions available to me at the academy. However, getting out to the ship obviously is a, is a different story once you're talking about being in charge and being in charge of sailors. And so I think what that first chief did, um, he balanced me out really well because he was very experienced and helped me understand where my role kind of came in and also emphasized to me the importance of being on the same page. And so just even that alone really made a big difference and helped me understand this relationship. I'll also say he was very encouraging about me getting my SWOL, my SWOL qualification as well. And so it was really great to just have that support, not only in the division, but also that encouragement when it came to getting my qualification accomplished. You know, that's a great story. And I, you know, Ward said, and, and I know I, I've got a, a story similar working with a chief for the first time who really set me on a good path uh, together. What, what do you, what kind of advice do you have for the junior officer who shows up to a ship and perhaps the relationship, the initial relationship with that first chief is not so positive mm-hmm. with, where there's friction? Right. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Um, the advice that I would would give is is something that I've heard before, but never had to really use myself, which is, you know, if your chief isn't um, working, you know, that relationship really isn't working as well as it should to find a different chief on board who can mentor you and who can um, help you kind of work through some of these things. So, like I said, I've heard that before, you know, if your chief isn't or that relationship isn't working great, there's, there's an entire chief's mess on board to kind of leverage to, to help with this sort of process. Let's move on to uh, truth number five. Yeah, so for truth number five, obviously these are all based on some level of personal experience. But with truth number five, I have a very specific memory that comes to mind, which was I was underway for my first sort of extended underway period. And I was intent on being in radio almost every second of the day that I wasn't working on some sort of qualification or standing watch. And as you can imagine, this plan did not work out very well for me. And shortly into that underway, I was sick. I had to stay in my rack a couple days. And really that that memory kind of sticks out to me when I think about truth number five, because when you're a new division officer and you're trying to kind of be everywhere at once, it's easy to not take care of yourself thinking I'm a team player. I'm giving it all to the team. But in reality, if you aren't taking care of yourself or making sure that you're getting enough sleep or you're making it to that meal, then you're actually in the long run hurting the team. Because when I was in my rack, someone obviously had to, you know, help stand in for me on watch, or maybe my chief had to pick up some of my slack in the division. So really truth number five is just trying to emphasize that, you know, as a division officer, are you going to be well rested in awesome physical shape 100% of the time? No, but there's some level of individual care that needs to take place with the goal of 
helping the team as in mind, really. And that brings us to the most current truth, truth number six, SWO ensigns must understand how to set the tone. Truth number two was attitude is everything, and this one's about setting the tone. So what what are we talking about that's different between those two truths? Sure. So setting the tone here um, is talking about once that turnover has taken place, how a new division officer can sort of assert themselves in a division or in an environment where they really don't know much of what's going on around them. Um, I'll also say I think this one can be interesting for maybe more senior officers who maybe have forgotten what it really is like for that, for that new ensign for this one. Again, specifically, I remember I had a conversation with a new ensign actually last summer and he brought up some of these same concerns to me. And I even only a couple years removed from that same exact position had sort of forgotten what this really feels like. And setting the tone can be again, a very difficult thing for a new division officer because They're trying to assert themselves while at the same time are lacking a lot of knowledge that wouldn't be needed really to do that. So that's what truth number six um, is getting at. So part of that is asking, you're you're kind of giving advice to more senior people to give feedback to a a new ensign so that they're helping them kind of uh, uh, find their course sooner rather than sort of wandering around and not knowing how well they're doing at the start. Right. And for new division officers also to not be afraid to ask for that type of feedback, because especially early on and going back to that intro introductory line about not knowing, it's hard to know, you know, if you're doing a good job. So that I I included in here because I think it's really important. And for, again, the senior officer, I I just mentioned that in terms of being able to kind of get yourself back into that mindset, because I know for me, even a couple of years after my shore duty, it was kind of um, enlightening to to rehear and kind of relive that experience. And the last part of truth number six is make time for fun, and this is fundamental to my eye. Um, you know, it's easy. It's easy. It's, Words an aviator yeah, at heart. Yeah. I'm all about the fun, um, but I often say fun isn't always just a keg party, right? Fun is doing doing the job right. But right. we all know fifth month of cruise, if it's all, you know, work harder, war criminal kind of stuff, uh, morale is going to take a hit. So this to me is, uh, you know, we laugh about liberty incidents and that sort of thing, but we're talking about striking a balance. And this is really essential in terms of setting the tone. So what comes to mind with you when you say make time for fun? Well, I have to say, I think this is something that I did not do a very good job of, especially early on in my division officer time. And I think the reason for that is I was understandably overwhelmed with trying to get qualified and um, trying to learn really what it meant to be a division officer. But as you said, you know, this is something that is important. And especially for divisional sailors, it's it doesn't take you know, much. It's, there's, it's not a, a four day vacation getaway. It might just be, you know, going out to lunch or just something small really goes a long way with the division. And especially in, you know, ship life, it's, it's very busy. There's lots of work always that needs to be done. Um, but taking time again, not anything too crazy, but just taking some time to, to sort of look for ways to inject some fun into the situation really can pay dividends with 
with the um, with the division. And I will have to add to um, that the Halloween costumes mentioned that that was a Normandy experience. So have to give a shout out to the to the fun boss of our division on Normandy. <laughs> the fun <laughs> boss, you want to be the fun boss? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I think this advice is can apply to any work environment, civilian or otherwise. We do a thing at the Naval Institute with the editorial team on every Friday. We have a dance party, quote unquote, which is everybody oh, nice. everybody puts a YouTube video into Slack in our random channel, um, and we have somebody wins, and then that person becomes the um, judge for the following week, and that the judge also sets what the theme is. Um, so we've had all kinds of crazy, you know, prom theme and hair metal and movie themes. And it's really fun. And it, it, it people definitely get into it, you know, and in and, and this environment where we're not co-located and everybody's working from mm-hmm. home because of COVID-19. It's it's, I think, really essential in terms of having just carve out a little bandwidth for mm-hmm sort of having fun with the team and you get to lo- know a lot about a person by the choices they make uh, in the dance party. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a no brainer to just sort of follow the, the tech manual and, and do what you're ordered and not try to have any charisma or create any spirit. You know, we all know that was the fun at the Naval Academy in the, in the company area was kind of this, the offline stuff. So this is a very important part of, uh, of setting the tone as a J.O. I wanted to ask Audrey just for a, a quick snapshot, a, a sea story, if you have one, of uh, why you love being a SWO. Like what was there a moment in one of your division officer tours or more, maybe more than one moment where you're like, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I went to the Academy. I'm so glad I'm on this ship. I'm so glad for what I'm doing right now. Wow, that's a great question, Bill. Um, I would say two things. Number one is on Churchill, I really enjoyed being officer of the deck qualified and standing that watch. Um, There really isn't anything like standing on the bridge, being in charge of the team, and driving the ship. So I've always really, really enjoyed that. Um, The second story I'll share is, actually, I'm glad you brought this up because it comes to mind my shortly after I got to Normandy, we went underway and we were scheduled to do a missile exercise and we had some severe technical problems basically right before and the day before. And the team was just working around the clock to try to get, to try to get everything um, the equipment and everything set up so we could be successful at this missile exercise. And after hour after hour of work, um, we eventually figured it out, fixed the problem just in the nick of time, and were able to um, successfully complete the missile exercise. And so that, to me, sort of embodies the true joy, like you said earlier, about what the true fun is of being a division officer, which is really just working with the team and fighting through challenges to um, accomplish the mission. And I, I think I mentioned to you, Bill, um, earlier this year that that photo from the proceedings podcast, I believe came from that Normandy missile shoot. That is awesome. I love that. Yeah. I think that the, the, uh, the photo that we use for our, lo- our uh, proceedings podcast logo is a Normandy missile shot. So that's very cool. Small world, another small yep. world Navy <laughs> story, right? Yeah. Right. So 
We've been talking to Lieutenant Audrey Talbot. Uh, she's the author of seven Proceedings Online articles that we've published in the month of April, May, and June. They, they are Truths 1 through 7. Uh, seven will be out uh, probably next week, um, but you can find them on the Naval Institute uh, Proceedings uh, homepage. And uh, Audrey, it's been great talking to you about uh, how to make life better for uh, young division officers, surface warfare officers. Thank you so much for having me on, and I'll just say congrats, especially to the class of 2020 surface warfare officers. Welcome to the team. Are we allowed to tease out what uh, Truth 7 is, is? What is it? Sure. So sneak peek on Truth number 7. It has to do with victory, and that being the daily aim of the division officer. So talking a lot about victory in truth number seven, which fits in with the Normandy ship motto, which is Vanguard of Victory. And also, of course, the U.S. Naval Institute's motto, Victory Starts at the U.S. Naval Institute. <laughs> yes, that's a beautiful segue. We should just end with that. Yeah. <laughs> we could just end with that. But I yeah. want to ask one more question. I want to ask another thing, which is, are we allowed to tease out what's next for Lieutenant Talbot? Um, the future is uncertain for me right now, so um, I have some time left on Shorty D to sort of try to figure that out. Sounds like you're running for Congress. <laughs> I support you. Political answer. <laughs> She's definitely running for, uh, or, or in the running for Proceedings Author of the Year. You know, these this uh, series of seven articles are really terrific pieces. So, well, Audrey, great talking to you. This is another example of how victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll catch you all next week.